0: so i'm I'm physically holding the microphone closer to my mouth- my mouth right now. How does that sound?
1: Um, you can't tell <laughs> all right, man. So this is episode ten, and we are we doing anything special for episode ten?
0: Well, I think it is a good time to not do a rebrand but try to take stock of uh just what we're doing, how we're doing things, how we're promoting, advertising. But are
1: we going to talk about that or been. is that just like in our own prayer? <laughs> we <laughs> We take stock in it.
0: We can talk about it. Well, um what are what are you thinking? What do you want?
1: I I'm inclined to say Okay, aren't you going to be gone this summer? Yeah. Like what if we finish with episode 10 and call that season 1? Hmm. Season 1. I like and it. And then when you get back, at the end of the summer, we can start season two. Hmm. Or not. I like it. <laughs> or, you? I mean, did you find a way in which you can record while you're in, where are you going to be? Cambodia? <laughs> Kohima. Kohima. Isn't that really close to Cambodia? Uh, it's over that way.
0: Um, I, yeah, I mean, as you pointed out last episode, we already do international...
1: We do.
0: Conversation. We do. do. Now, the time difference is going to be a little bit more extreme than just, what is it, three hours?
1: Yeah, yeah. Which already is a little bit of a stretch. (laughs) Because it's like, hey, Jonathan, I'm ready to record, and you're still asleep. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so that could prove to be a little difficult. Um, One of us will end up either staying up way too late or getting up way too early. So,
1: right now in Kohima, Nagaland, India. It is 1 a.m.
0: Ooh, yeah, see?
1: And mm. I am currently recording at 3.25 p.m. And I am at 12.25 How is it that they are at a half hour difference and not just a full hour? Wait, what time is it? Uh, It is 12.55 in Kohima. Whoa, that is weird. Yeah, they are plus five hours and 30 minutes ahead of us. From uh, ahead yeah. of me, so that's eight hours and thirty minutes ahead of you. Whoa. Yeah, bro.
0: That doesn't make any sense. What the the thirty minutes?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, that's a thing, bro. Uh, is that math? Uh, I mean, I guess it is kind of arbitrary anyway <laughs> that we have everything just decided in our our differences, <laughs> but um, well, yeah. So if you're gonna be five and a half hours ahead of me, then that means that. Either I'm recording really early, or you're recording really late.
0: Yeah, and I have no idea what a ske-
1: what a schedule will look like over there. Yet. All right, well I'm gonna call it then. This is gonna be the last episode of season one. Wow. We could do little things in the in the summer, in the interim, in our in our sort of summer summer term, do a little
0: travel vlog because we're both gonna be traveling around.
1: Yeah, dude, I. <laughs> I think I am flying more than you are this summer, and you are flying to India.
0: (laughs) Probably. Well, maybe not distance-wise, but you'll certainly be taking more flights.
1: Guess how many flights I'm taking this summer. (laughs) Ten. Ten Earth flights. (laughs) Wait, was I right? Yes. (laughs) Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. How many are you doing?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, what was it, last summer? When I was, yeah, I think it was my Arupe summer. When <laughs> you know, you know, it's bad when you start to revisit air airports, and not like, oh, I'm, you know, I flew into Denver, so I'm going back to Denver, but I'm actually flying through this airport for the second time.
1: Ooh, <laughs> that's never happened to me. Um, it is ha- starting to happen to me though that I am going to airports that I have been to before. Um. In cities yeah. that I do not live in, which has been yeah, really cool, uh, to be like, oh yeah, isn't there a restaurant of this type in this place?
0: Yep. Um, uh, that is a weird thing that we start to know airports like yeah, that.
1: Yeah, I actually kind of like it. It's gonna be pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, how you doing, man? How's uh the semester going?
0: Well, we're in the end of the semester. Are you? Uh, yeah, we've only got a couple of weeks left. How many more? Uh, two. Plus finals. Graduation. Well, graduation's on the nineteenth, so I think we actually finish finish up on like on like the fifteenth I want to say something like that mm-hmm. um yeah so it's it's the last i've got my one though well, it's kind of weird F- this semester I've got two exams for my for two of my classes mm-hmm. instead of papers, so it feels like i'm not as busy, but there's a lot of there's a lot more studying to do than writing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had a couple of classes this uh, year that that were like that. It was sort of the standard like yeah. midterm and final structure rather than yeah. uh, write a ten to twenty page paper uh, at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're both lower lower level classes, which makes sense. You know, you don't you don't you don't typically write those big old papers for an intro class.
1: Sure. So you um you're approaching the end of your semester and I yep. just finished I just just finished <laughs> uh this past week my first of two summer school classes. Wow. And so I will begin my second summer school course this Monday and I will have that course for three weeks and then I'll be done with summer school.
0: Can I just say I'm really jealous the way you guys do that?
1: Yeah, I just I always find it kinda of funny that you're finishing your semester and I'm halfway through summer school.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well cuz we're in different countries.
1: That's true. How are you feeling at this end of the semester?
0: Pretty good. I took this um 5 week painting course and it met it was kind of a a slog to get through. It's a 3 hour session every Thursday on top of a day that I already have two classes. So that's my third 3 hour class. Mhm. Um so super ti- being super tired but It was a lot of fun to be able to do. Nice. Um, And, yeah, really just to – so there's this weird thing, being a digital painter, it's really difficult. I don't remember if I've talked about this before or not, but it's really difficult to talk to traditional painters and, like, try to get advice on how to work with colors and things Mm. because they immediately shut down and, like, oh, I don't know anything about the computer, so I can't help you. Like well, I'm not asking you to help me with the computer. I want to know what happens when I put green in this. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs>
1: so the the course that you took at Cal that was a painting on canvas course.
0: Yeah, acrylic painting. It was. And it was. It, that's exactly what I needed. You know, I'm still a little bit intimidated by color, but. <laughs> we worked with a with a limited palette mm-hmm. and it was all about mixing to find what you need to get the different tones and and, and, and do you feel
1: do you feel like your like that skill is transferable to the procreate digital art world
0: oh definitely i mean doing digital art is not I, i'm not just putting filters on things um and part of the frustration and anybody that has ever worked in something like photoshop will know When you've got a program that can literally do anything, you just don't know where to start. Mm. And so, and it's like the internet, you know, you, okay, learn how to do this thing on the internet. It's like, well, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I can literally make any color, but it's more about learning the relationality between the colors, Mm. you know, to learn what works. Right. And that's a, rather than just. Yeah, and that's what that's what the art process is. Sure.
1: And that's a transferable uh, skill. And that doesn't
0: that doesn't change. Yeah, that doesn't change. That's tr- and that's true with oil. That's true with watercolor. And digital is just another medium. Hmm.
1: So uh, in this class, you guys are sitting at an easel with you know with uh, some canvas and your brushes, and you were just painting stuff. Is that how that works? Yep. Yep. Dang, that's awesome. It's, and you liked it. I loved it. I'm going to try to do it again next year. Oh, nice. So, does this course have like a a theme or is it just like, hey, paint whatever you want today? Or
0: <laughs> Well, yes, yeah, sort of. The the very first class, the instructor brought out like some nectarines or something and just said, "We're going to we're going to paint this."
2: Delicious. And so we
0: all Yeah, it was good. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and so we all just kind of stood around and, and painted that. And then it was a little more. Oh, and then the second class was specifically bring in a picture of a landscape. Mm. And we'll, you know, we'll paint skies and grasses and things. And then from then on out, he kind of let us choose what we wanted to do. Uh-huh. Um, the, for the most part, people in the class had no real experience in art. So he was like, probably stay away from people. Uh-huh. Uh, portraits can be a little bit more difficult. Um, so I brought in this really cool photo that I took, uh, in Oakland and just did that for four, for what was it? Four weeks. Wow. Something like that. What does it look like? It was cool. I can
2: send you a picture. Uh, are you open to criticism and feedback? Sure.
1: So while you're looking for that, uh, I'll just update you on how I'm doing. Since uh I am now in the midst of summer school. I I took I took a holiday. Did I tell you about my holiday?
0: Uh yeah. Did you go to like Manitoba?
1: That Ottawa? I don't know what that is. That's in Canada, <laughs> somewhere, I don't know where, but it's somewhere. Um I still don't really have much of an intuition. Montreal. Ooh, I like Montreal. Um I did not go to Montreal. It's a little too far for the amount of time I had. The problem is is that I um I finished the semester and within 5 days I had to start summer school. So I decided to go to our infirmary uh just outside of Toronto and oh, okay. And I spent 5 days out there by myself um with uh the community that lives out there. And that was awesome. It was just so so nice, very relaxing. But the problem is is now I've been in the in the in the throes of summer school for um, for three weeks and I have three more weeks continuing that I'm feeling a lot of the stress just sort of piling on of not like not consciously stressed where I'm like oh my god I got this paper due and I'm really freaking out about it it's more of like I just think yeah. I have been on and in school consistently for the last 15 weeks and it's, I don't know, and it's just been intense because the summer school course was three weeks and it was an intensive, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, unfortunately, ugh, this is so sad, I have developed a twitch <laughs> Whoa! in my eye. So my eye twitches, uh, my eyelid twitches, and I think it's because of the stress. Mm. Have you ever had one of these? Probably. Yeah. Ugh, how do you deal with it?
0: Uh... I don't know.
1: Did you get rid of it?
0: Sometimes I get muscle twitches in my arm. Huh. And it's weird. So, but I have had the eye thing before.
1: It's my, it's my left eye in the top eyelid. The it just periodically will twitch. And what I find frustrating about it is that I want to <laughs> see it. I want to see it. I want to see it twitch. And so I keep every time I feel it, I run to the nearest mirror and I'm like, ooh, can I see? Can I, Can I see the thing happen? Because I still have another eye, so I can see it with that other eye, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: that's why God gave you two. Yeah. How else are you supposed to see these things?
1: Um, <laughs> gosh, but every time I go to see it, I can't. It doesn't. I, I, I always miss it. So just now, I pulled up my camera on my iPad, because I'm looking at my iPad throughout this whole conversation. And I put it on uh-huh. selfie mode to see, because my eye started twitching. And so, so <laughs>
0: <wanted to> <laughs> Did you record it? I I should just
1: put it on camera and like video camera and just let my, just look at the camera for 10 minutes and let it video until I feel it.
0: Yeah. That's our video B-roll. Oh man.
1: Oh gosh. It's just a frustrating feeling of like something that I don't know what it is, is causing me to have a twitch in my eye and it's very annoying. It's not like, it's not like a tick. I don't know the difference between these things, like a tick and a twitch, but it's, it's like periodically my, my eyelid will just like flutter a little bit. Yeah. It's very annoying. Yeah, I know
0: what you mean. So anyway, that's are you still wearing your bono glasses when you're on your computer? No,
1: no, that's that's a good point. I i used to do that uh at the beginning of the semester because remember it was like episode six. We were talking a lot about my eyes being really strained from the semester. Yeah. Um and yeah. that went away um halfway through this semester, so I stopped using the glasses. Um the glasses were quasi helpful, uh and I kept them because in case this happens again. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned it because one of the things that I was reading up on, uh, with eye twitches was that one of the things that could cause it is eye strain. Um, and like eye fatigue. So stress is one thing, but then also eye strain could be another. And I figured I've also Uh been using my eye a lot, uh, recently. So (laughs) just that one, (laughs) I do wink a lot with my right eye. So (laughs) it could be the case that my left eye has been fatigued. Uh, maybe it's jealous. Oh, dude. And maybe it's
0: trying to wink. Look, the right eye is doing all the It's, try, it's trying to wink so <laughs> badly.
1: Like, <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. Okay, I just pulled up your painting and uh-huh. it's good. It's like good. Is it finished? <laughs> no. Yeah, I was going to say it's not done, but it looks good. Is Okay, so what am I looking at though? What is this big black thing in the top?
0: It's an uh, awning.
1: Uh okay, I did not think that. I thought it was like I was looking at the I was looking at this from the point of view of my car trunk is open and I'm looking <laughs> through the trunk. <laughs> mm,
0: interesting. maybe I maybe yeah, I was no, in the it's, trunk? It's a little the photo is a
1: little blurry. I'm not sure I was So it's in not, the not trunk that or... the lines aren't that
0: blurred. <laughs> yeah, it's a kidnapping happening in progress. So
1: this this is a real place.
0: Yeah, this is a hipster barber shop that I went to um a couple months ago mm-hmm. and i was sitting down waiting and it was a beautiful day mm-hmm. so and i like the i like the lines of the buildings going off into the distance. i
1: am curious as to what uh why did you choose blue for the sky
0: well that's a big thing that i was that i was planning on working on um well the sky is blue eh?
1: a <laughs> well uh this is sort of my way of pointing out that in canada the sky is never blue You live in California, and the sky is always blue.
0: Yeah, well, but it's not as saturated as I made it, Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things that I'm working on is getting the tonal values of things a little bit more accurate. Mm -hmm. And so, what I'm planning on doing, probably the next sitting that I do, whenever that is, is going in and throwing a lot more grays, Mm. more neutral
1: tones, nice, to try to knock it down. Um. As a bit of a non-sequitur but kind of related, have you seen the show The Crown?
0: Uh, I have seen maybe two episodes of it. Okay.
1: Did you watch the episode that involved painting? No. There's an episode you're you're familiar with the show's concept. Uh, yeah. So, in one of the episodes, it's actually the last episode that you have Winston Churchill uh in the show. He, he's uh-huh. the Prime Minister uh, for the first season until the very end when he retires. Um, spoiler right. alert, he doesn't continue. This was continue.
0: Uh, John Lithgow? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought he did a fantastic job, by the way. Um, and the show is really worth watching. I couldn't endorse it more. Anyway, long story short, I didn't know this, but he was a painter. Uh, and oh. in episode... Churchill or Lithgow? Churchill. And, and so <laughs> in episode eight, he... Uh, it's all about him painting, and then having his portrait painted, and his relationship to the artist, and speaking to the artist about what he's doing. And it's just very interesting because uh, Churchill himself is a painter, and so they swap paintings, uh, and they try to paint each other's paintings. Um, it's, it's like Churchill has this great line of like he wants you can't really understand a man until you try to replicate what he's created. That's that's Whoa. when you can really come to understand the mind of a person is try to replicate what they've created, and so he. Takes one of his paintings. He takes one of the the portrait painter's paintings and tries to repaint it. Um, I don't know, it's just a very fascinating episode. Um, I'd encourage you to watch it because it's it's really it's really quite moving. Um, I like that. Yeah, no, it's really it's really good. Um, no, this is good. I like it. I would say generally, if I would give you one piece of feedback, and then maybe it's because the the photograph is not ideal, I I kind of get this sense sometimes from your your paintings that you fudge on the detail like you you give like impress like it's like yeah. very impressionistic um yeah which i love impressionism but it's almost like you i don't know if you just don't go you don't like that style of hyper detail or if it's just too much work or it's not done yet i don't know but like like even your pope francis portrait it's there's detail enough in the face but most of it is kind of this impressionistic view yeah. of him is it, are you intending those things, or is that just, like, if uh, I have more time? Well, most
0: of it's, yeah, most of it's because I'm not good enough um, <laughs> to do that. For this one, though, it's kind of interesting. Because it's such a, like, a foundational level course, uh, the brushes that he wanted us to use are these big fat things. Mm. So that... People don't get bogged down with the details and they look for the big shapes. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Um, so, I, you can kind of tell where I attempted to get some details mm-hmm. and it just kind of blobs out. Sure, sure. Um, so, that is a, and I didn't, you know, I do have smaller brushes, but I didn't want to bring them in because that's not the, what, what the instructor sure. wanted us to work so on. So,
1: relative to the rest of the class, what was your skill level?
0: Um, well, this is only like my third ever acrylic painting. So I don't have a lot of experience with the, with acrylics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was still learning how to, how to mix them and how to apply them the, how much water to use, how much medium to use. So I was kind of on, I mean, I, I have a better sense of how to pick it up. Unlike I think I got used to it a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. And everybody else. Nice, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I thought I was one of the better <laughs> painters in the in
1: the class. Uh, well, toot toot. <laughs> toot toot. I don't want to toot my own horn. But toot toot. <laughs> no good. That's very good. Yeah, I I appreciate you sharing this because I I'm well aware as a musician I'm well aware of like when I create something I usually have a major reservation of sharing it because. It can be kind of a vulnerable thing to try and share what you created yeah. with somebody else. Um, I don't know. I think it takes a lot of courage to be a painter and like and create things and then put it on display. I don't know. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so I want to introduce a new segment to our show. Okay. okay so I find, in general, in my life, and maybe you too in your life, maybe it's because we're men that live in community, maybe it's just because we're human, I don't know. Um... I have a tendency of focusing on the negative uh-huh. in a lot of things in my life. Um, you know, I can I can pray and examine or something and try to find where it is that God has been good to me and express gratitude. But generally speaking, I tend to find negatives in, you know, relationships or negatives in courses. And, you know, instead of talking about why a course was awesome in the midst of it, all I can think about is why it's not as good as it should be, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I want to yeah. introduce something that I'm going to dub the happiness corner. Uh, into our show, and I just want to ask you, what are you happy about right now?
2: It can be about anything. That's a great question. It can be about anything.
0: Yeah. Well, this this um this painting course has really given me a lot of life. I'm doing another. So I've done a few paintings for class already, for a theology class, and this one has really helped me helped to develop that a little bit. I'm going to send you another image Mm -hmm. um of what of what i've been working on and what you're about to see is something that i'm that i've done on my ipad that i am going to this is a preliminary test of what i'm trying to do Hmm. um i'm projecting it onto a canvas where so it's a it's an image of mary holding the christ child Okay. and you and drew it on your iPad. Yeah. So pres- currently all of that is on my iPad and I've projected it onto this whiteboard. Okay. Except for that weird brown border. I painted over that. Um So what I'm going to do is on the board that I'm projecting on, I'm going to repaint just her face and his face and the hand. And then I'm going to put some fun textures on the outside and maybe even some glass where the robes are going Mm -hmm. so that it's one thing when you're looking at it without the projection. And then I'll flip the projector on and it'll have all of this color.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be fun. So I'm really kind of looking at this. How does light paint? I'm painting with light kind Mm, of. That's cool. Uh, That's cool. I like it. Yeah, and just being able to do this really has given given me a lot of life i really feel quite happy when i'm doing creative things like that's this. great
1: man i will say the her face in this is really well done thank you i don't really like the baby's face but i like her face
0: <laughs> yeah it's well it's a it's an actual photograph of my mom and my older sister oh. uh, that i used that's cool uh yeah and i you know it's not a typical expression that we see from jesus mm-hmm. um the i don't know if we'll be able to insert show notes into this but the the mouth is her her mouth is a little open mm-hmm. uh wide eyed and it's just kind of a natural i mean it is a natural expression because my sister actually did yeah it. it's very baby <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that's great that's really great I think the only other thing that I'm a little confused by about it is her her arm, the baby's arm, uh-huh. is is there more to the arm or is that an arm? Is that her arm?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's she's laying on it.
1: Oh, she's laying on it. Okay, okay. I see. No, yeah, but this is really cool. Really great idea. So, but this is not for a class. So, this is something you're just doing for yourself.
0: This is for a class. No, this is for a class. Oh. Um, and I think I think that's. That's one of the things that I really love about being out here at this particular Theologate is that I and this may be true in other places as well, but that I'm able to do things like this mm-hmm. for class, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty cool
1: that's <laughs> awesome, no, so that brings you a lot of happiness right now being able to paint,
0: yeah, yeah, just being creative and not stuck in papers mm-hmm. um I kind of like you said, I can get really negative around things like papers and You know, it's just over, we're overstressed, overworked. Um, A lot of it can be kind of arbitrary sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so yeah, being able to actually do something that I'm, not only that I'm passionate about, but that I think can actually speak to people, Mm -hmm. uh, gives me a lot of happiness. That's
1: cool, man. That's really cool. Uh, That's good to hear. It's actually like finding happiness in... Something that you're using for school itself, like that's yeah, that's clutch. Yeah, Yeah, that's really good. It's not just you're you're hanging out outside.
0: Exactly. I'm not. It is not a diversion from class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is not an escape. Yeah. What about you? Um.
1: Well. Um. Uh. We were talking a little bit beforehand. Um. Not feeling super well today, so it's kind of hard to think in positive terms. Uh. Of what makes me happy. Uh. Right now. Um. But. Um. Let's see. One of the things that has been particularly awesome um, in my life right now is actually it's something else that's on our list. And I'm just going to put it into this corner uh, right now is to talk about a conversation I had with uh, my provincial in February. Mm -hmm. And I've had this on our list for a couple of months since then. um, And it brought me a lot of clarity. And with a lot of clarity, it gave me a lot of joy. Um, And a lot of freedom. And so it makes me feel happy uh, remembering this conversation. And it has stayed with me uh, since then. Um, And the basic thrust of the whole thing was speaking with the provincial about what comes next. And we were talking about this a little bit at the beginning of the show um, of what am I doing next after I finish my MDiv? Um, Because it's happening, you know, soon. And in that conversation, I was expressing a lot of anxiety about um, the next step and, you know, wanting to remain open and free to whatever the provincial wants. And then I started to entertain the possibility, and I wanted to share this with him, of moving on to higher studies. And it's something that in my life has never been seriously considered. Like, I've always had an aversion to thinking about, like, the higher ed apostolate or, you know, doctoral work. I've never, I've always been very hesitant about those things. I think part of it is coming from an insecurity of like school means performance and performance means like review and review means judgment and judgment means value. And my personal value then is somehow wrapped up in my success and all that stuff. And I think that has forced me into a place where I just would rather not engage with a discernment process of higher studies because school in particular is like ripe for judgment. You know, there's just judgment everywhere. Um, anyway, so I brought all this to the provincial when he visited in February, and I was like, I just really want to, you know, discern this well. Like, what's what's the next step? I'm feeling a little bit called to consider going deeper in the studies. And he said, he said something really awesome. And as I even talk about it right now, it's bringing me some joy in thinking about. He said, look, discernment about higher ed uh, is not done in the abstract. Like, you can't just say like, I'm gonna go and get a PhD. Like, that's just not how things work. Um, but he also said it's fruitless it's a very fruitless exercise to think in terms of the abstract Uh, with higher ed he said look people discern fields and within fields they discern you know areas and those areas are very specific Um, otherwise it's way it's just way this is a distraction of sorts anyway long story short he said look my invitation for you is to stop thinking about it so much like you have to figure out what's next he said think in terms instead about where it is. And he said it this way. He said, in your examine and in your prayer, listen to where it is that you think that the Lord is leading you and start asking yourself where it is that you find yourself falling in love. Hmm. And I like that. Yeah, and it's ever since then, every examine that I pray has always been about where do I find myself falling in love? And he said, if you start thinking that way in terms of falling in love, then the discernment process will be very freeing and very free, but also on top of that, that's the kind of disposition that makes higher studies worth it. Uh and worth pursuing. Because a person who pursues something like higher ed or any kind of apostolate or any kind of job out of obligation or out of a certain sense of like desperation is not going to succeed. But if you're
0: Yeah, they're going to be miserable. Yeah.
1: But if you follow the call to fall deeper in love with something, then that's that's something else, right? And so, anyway, I just wanted to share that with you as something that's brought me a lot of happiness recently is getting that kind of clarity about the discernment process. Instead of thinking about what's going to happen in the next calendar year, we're thinking about what has happened in the last calendar day wherein I find myself falling in love with something.
0: Yeah. How do you do that, though? Like,
1: It seems like one of those things like, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll
0: just find where God loves me and where I love God.
1: Yeah it's uh it's not as trite as that, um it's this feeling of like so when i like if I pray and examine like that's kind of become my that's kind of become my mantra in the examine is to sort of ask the question uh-huh. and it's not it's not to ask in the general platitudinal sense of where you know how okay. has God shown me love, it's to literally ask a personal question of where do I find myself falling in love, so the mm. way that you're describing art sounds a little bit that way of like. Yeah. You know, you you get a lot of joy when you paint. It's even use words like finally get a chance to do this and looking forward to doing this again. Like that sounds like love. Right? Yep. That sounds like the way yep. people describe love. Um
0: Well, yeah, and that's why that's why I bring that up because I think there is a big disconnect in the way that we in colloquial terms use love is not always the way that it's it's meant to be used. Mm. Like it's more of this feeling like you're not looking for a place where you're going to feel happy a hundred percent of the time,
2: no, yeah, that's
0: right. It's going to be hard, and it's going like with painting, I kind of suck at a lot of aspects of mm-hmm. it, and it's gonna you know you go through an awkward phase where everything looks like crap, <laughs> and then you but you've gotta stick through it mm-hmm. um and push through the push through the
1: pain right. So for me in particular, like this semester was awesome because I had a couple of classes that were phenomenal for me. And I just found myself falling in love with certain areas of theology to where I found myself wanting to like, and maybe this fits into another thing that I wrote on here. I'm starting to remember. Um, I I started to think in terms of like, I want to spend time like re- reading and writing for this topic. So I got to, I took a class. the theology of the body and I took a class on Balthazar. It's kind of shaping shaping my future thinking about uh, my my final paper for the MDiv and then potentially for an STL but it was interesting because like being able to even confidently say that I'm interested in an STL now is grounded in this like real experience of man I just really fell in love with these courses that we were doing because the material itself was affecting my prayer and affecting the way that I see myself and affecting the way that I see my relationship with God. to where I find myself wanting to spend time with it and struggling through it. And what's funny what's funny and, and kind of frustrating is that, you're right, I don't feel positive towards it all the time because school, like I'm really stressed out right now, like I told you, and that doesn't make me feel very happy. But there is something about the way that school went this, this year that it makes me feel like there's a depth to the satisfaction and a depth to the experience that I want to keep returning to it. You know, I want to keep coming back to it. Yeah. Um, and the way I described it here on the show notes as extroversion woes because, like, simultaneously with this discernment process and this desire to go deeper in the studies, is also the like the the stark reality that everyone knows me as this really, really extreme extrovert, which is true, and I am. <laughs> uh, but the problem is like as I'm sensing the desire to go deeper in studies, that requires me to have the discipline to be by myself and to close the door and to read, and I'm finding that I've received a bit of that grace. Like I want to do that Mm. often. Um, But then it's this sort of back and forth of like, but I also, you know, I I like being around people, but I want to be by myself too. And just finding that balance there can be very frustrating uh, for an extrovert and probably for you as an introvert. I don't know how how you experience that, but like it can be kind of frustrating, especially when people have an expectation that, you know, it's an open door policy when it comes to my room because, you know, I'm always wanting to hang out.
0: Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that sounds like, that sounds like you are developing your, not just your academic or even prayer life, but you're really developing in who you are, you know, just to, just to say, oh, I'm an extrovert, so I do this, or I'm an introvert, so I do this kind of limits the way and the, the very real way that people change over time. And we, you know, we, we don't we don't think the same way that we did 10 years ago 15 years ago and we're not going to think the same way 10 years from now right um and are you going to be open to that change to that development mm-hmm. or are you going to say oh well that's not that's not who i am staying in my room and reading a book
1: right yeah and i think that's brought me a lot of happiness to be able to say like look I'm allowed to change. Like I'm allowed to be, <laughs> yeah, to become a different person, and not a complete, like, substantially a different person, but like, right, you know, to to change and to modify who I am, uh, and my habits and my actions, so that I can become a better person. Um, and that can be a struggle, especially in community life, because, you know, studies is not always the most attractive thing for everybody, and so it's just a lot. And I I was this way when we did philosophy. Uh, I would much rather just be hanging out than. You know, yeah. Anyway, well, how do you experience the, some of these things as an introvert?
0: Well, uh, it's actually one of these things that I put on the on the list as well. Um, I get I get down with papers sometimes because I just feel like I don't really know who I'm writing for. Hmm.
2: Uh,
0: now I suspect that a lot of this is It's writing for me so that I can learn how to think more clearly Mm -hmm. about a certain topic, and I totally get that. I buy that, Uh, and I think that's a very good thing. But when that starts to become our mode of communication, I find it really challenging. So, like, homilies here are basically people reading academic papers at us. Right. So we're not actually being evangelized to the word isn't necessarily being broken open in that particular way and i really miss that and i think it is because we spend our entire formative experiences writing these types of papers Mm -hmm. rather than writing things that people actually want
1: to hear (laughs) is your is your issue with the writing or of the genre
0: um more of the genre I think you know because writing you know people that write articles I find very helpful uh I think like Bishop Barron does a really good job his his articles that he puts out are basically the scripts for the videos that he does right. but even more than that you when you do something like that so he's a, gr- a good example for what I'm for what I'm thinking about you you get immediate feedback from people mm-hmm. you know does this idea work rather than you struggle with it for a while, and then you turn it in, and your pro- your professor tells you if that works or not.
1: If that, I Hopefully. mean, and often if yeah, often I don't get any feedback.
0: You know, and like we're worried about proper footnote formats and all this stuff. It's like I don't, I don't care about any of that. Mm. Uh, and so it's just a strange way of learning how to communicate. That I find hugely disconnected from
1: the rest of the world <laughs> hmm. does that make sense? It does um, but I wonder like is so so the reason I asked a question about genre uh is so i I sometimes have had the frustration when people write their homilies anyway, even if they're not writing them yeah. in an academic style, so sort of the writing of them out just because I have always kind of felt like the homily needs to be something that is a little bit more extemporaneous. Um, yeah. However, I'm kind of evolving a little bit in this sense, and maybe this is a little bit of a challenge to what you said, is that I'm starting to think, like, I I can't just wing it. Um, I, they're, they're, right. like, I feel like the people of God deserve more than that. Um, and I started wondering, it's like, What if a lot of this training of writing papers, for one, I would say, the the point I was going to make is, for one, we have a very integrated charism where I don't think that we should separate out those who are called to academic life and those who are not. And those who are not don't have to learn how to write academically. I think we need to integrate the vocation. So like, Jesuits need to be learned priests. And as learned priests, we need to be men who are intellectual and and can communicate intellectually. Um, Right. That's one point. But the other point I was going to say is, like, If I'm preparing my homilies well, then why not write them out as maybe not in the same kind of structure as an academic essay, but write them out and then maybe not deliver them from a script. But like I was thinking, you know, if I started writing homilies um, long form and then once it's all said and done, just leave it in my room and then just go preach.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, the beauty of again going back to Bishop Barrett, the beauty of his videos is they f- kind of feel like that. You know, he's not reading from a script.
1: But you know, he's written it all out.
0: You read the article and you're like, holy, holy moly! These are this is everything that he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think no, I think you're totally right that that's that that's important. That's an important way of gathering ideas and laying them out mm-hmm. so that you can actually, you know, struggle with it, chew on right. it. So it's kind of oh here we go. I'm gonna bring it back to painting. People typically only see the final product of a painting. Mm-hmm. If I sh- if I showed some of my studies to you, they probably wouldn't make a lot of sense. They wouldn't mean the same things to you that they mean to me,
2: mm-hmm.
0: because I'm working on a very particular thing, right? Uh, and I don't care about a lot of the other stuff. For example, um, that's kind of how papers feel. Like I'm trying to figure out this one thing. And that doesn't really communicate very well to other people. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm looking for is how can we start being, how can, in our formation, how can we be trained to actually speak to people in a real way? Mm. Like they don't, when I go to, when I go to church, the people don't really care about a lot of the stuff that we care about in class. You know, having, having all of the councils memorized with the, christological concerns of the first seven centuries it's like that's something that the priest needs to be able to preach about but you're not gonna you're not gonna deliver a historical essay in front of a congregation
1: right so but where where's your hang-up it's it can't be in the learning of the things because you need to learn those things
0: yeah i guess i guess in talking it out it's not so much just doing like writing academic papers but how do how do we transition then to preaching the word?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's a that's a good question because I I, for example, here don't have a requirement to take a homiletics course, which I find very frustrating. Um we do get time to practice preaching and guys are deacons for a full year here or more, because we get ordained in May, and so guys get a lot of practice. Um Yeah. But there is something to be said about maybe that's that's the missing piece, is that the I think that there is a value for us to do academic writing um because people look to us not only as priests but also as Jesuits to be learned men uh and to be able to comment intelligently on things and not just being men who are trained practically in theology or practically in philosophy um Right. No, no. So totally, that's totally. that's I think I, gr- I completely agree yeah, with that. Yeah, that's good. You know, like I think a really good example of this is um the 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 parish administrator in Dallas at St. Rita's um do you remember him, Father uh, Josh? Yeah. Uh, He is an intellectual, and he's obviously an academic, and he writes for the newspaper. And he has a, he has yeah. a column in the newspaper. It's like, that's good training, and that's a good place for a priest to be, uh, and he needs to know how to write well for that. Anyway, but I think that your point is well taken. That There's something missing in the – there's a gap, which is how do you take that skill and transfer it to a different activity, which is homiletics, preaching. That preaching is not the same thing as giving an academic paper but the there's nothing wrong with the giving of an academic paper the problem is that we don't have a theology of preaching that like what is what is the difference ultimately Uh, and I think this is where I I have had the same experience where I get frustrated and I see guys literally type out an entire essay and then just take it to the chapel and then just stand there and read it yeah Um, how would you describe in your like if you were to design if you were to d- explain the difference, what would be the difference between an academic paper and a homily?
0: Length is a big one. I think I think there's something to, you know, okay, you've got a daily mass, 200 to 300 words. Say something very important, but say it clearly. Uh, so a lot of these very good, you know, talks that go on for eight or ten minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not... Those are two very different things
2: mm-hmm.
0: and e so even for a Sunday, you know okay it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit longer, maybe ten to fifteen minutes at the max, I would say um, but i think I think there's a yeah, I guess that's the struggle too. It's like you wanna say things very clearly mm-hmm. but not dumbly <laughs> right so i you don't want to just dumb everything down.
1: Right. I a good example of someone I think who does this well, the, the link between the academic formation, intellectual writing, uh sorry, the intellectual formation, the academic writing, and then the homiletics. Uh if you read a lot of the homilies of Pope Benedict, they're just like they they yeah. they're, they're basically chapters out of a theology book. Um yeah. but they're written in such a way where it's like they're also spiritually edifying and they're mm-hmm. and they're instructive and they're also exhortative. Um and I think those are dimensions there that are really important to con- to consider. So for me, I, the way I would answer the and his they're not very long either. No, and the way that I would answer the question too is that you know the both the academic writing and the homily both are um they're both concerned with the deposit of faith. Yes, they're both also should be some somehow related to the charism of the spirit. Um, but there's something in particular about the homily that needs to have like an inspiration behind it. Like there's something there's something of the spirit that is speaking, right? Like in John's gospel, don't worry about what you're going to say. The spirit will provide the words, um, which yeah. is very different than like an academic paper. I pray for inspiration, but this is ultimately a paper that is, uh, you know, an exploration of a particular topic. Um, whereas in the homily, it's like you have an opportunity here to preach the gospel, which is ultimately to speak to hearts, And speaking to minds to get to the heart, Uh, whereas in an academic paper, perhaps the goal is to understand a tenet of the creed better, Uh, Hmm.
0: you know? Yeah, 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 that's a good way to put it.
1: It's one of the things that I, I have missed with a lot of the guys that I hear preaching is that there's a desire in me to tell them to put their notes aside and ask for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because many of them, I just feel like, are concerned about getting their point across rather than saying, like, whenever I I preach a homily, for example, I go through a very intentional, like, prayer moment right before, like, while the gospel is being proclaimed, basically, like, I go through a a prayer process of like, okay, Lord, come Holy Spirit. And I, I have written some things and I have some notes, but, you know, Holy Spirit, give me the words that you want to be preached today. Like kind of have those that that kind of spiritual disposition, I think is is missing in some of the homilists that I've heard. It's it's like this is a man just giving me his two cents on life, rather than it being the spirit is motivating this man to to preach the gospel.
0: Well, it's difficult to get beyond our selfish desires. You know, I want my point to be known. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you should want the Holy Spirit's point to be known. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's ultimately one of the big key differences uh between the two is that this is a charism it's a charismatic thing there needs to be something of the spirit here that is giving the words more so than the yeah you know the the rigor of 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 study right the study is obviously inspired by the spirit as well but in a very different way yeah i'm looking forward to hearing you preach though (laughs) yeah
0: well you'll hear it uh next formation
1: gathering oh that's right you're gonna be a deacon this october October. Dang. How about that? Yeah, that's going to be awesome. We have uh our ordination is uh in a couple weeks. So the ordination Nice. Yeah, 2 weeks from today actually. 2 weeks from today the Father General is actually going to come to Toronto and he's going to be at the ordination. Really? Yeah, bro.
0: That's pretty that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. yeah. Not going to lie. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> going to be awesome. Uh okay, really quick, I should switching gears completely. Um, I just want to check in with you about your health.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, no health. I've actually been pretty healthy. Oh, um, I've been eating better. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to be more conscious of what I eat and when I eat. Hmm. Um, so that's been good. Exercise has still not been a thing. Naturally, uh, I uh, and this happened again. So I looked at my schedule and decided that I was going to, once again, make my Brazilian Jiu Jitsu life work out. Mm. And then I got a call the day after I made this resolution,
2: <laughs>
0: which was the day I was going to go back to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um so I had a root canal a couple of months ago. Ooh. Did I tell you about this?
1: No. Sounds awful.
0: Uh yeah, well it wasn't actually surprisingly it wasn't that bad. But anyway, I got a call they were able to schedule me in. So after you have a root canal, you need to have your uh a crown put on. So basically what they did that day was file they they basically filed my tooth off, left a nub. And then in a couple, of, they took a mold, and in a couple of weeks, I'll have a new tooth that they'll attach. Um, so having my face drilled on before having my face crushed by other people
1: oh, in the gym I see. was
0: not something that I was looking forward to. Oh, I see. I see. So I did not make it. I see. But next week. <laughs>
1: So, okay, so the most obvious question here is, wait a minute, you have a nub in your mouth right now?
0: Yeah. Dude, let me see it. It's weird. <laughs> it's in, it's one of my molars, so it's hard to, it's hard to see. Plus my, <laughs> my front facing camera's broken. Oh, I was like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of your molars <laughs> is completely filed down. That is really, really disgusting. Yeah. Dude, you're falling apart, man. But,
0: and, well, in a couple of weeks, I'll have a
1: <laughs> a new tooth. Oh, good. Uh, so, <laughs> between now and then, you have a couple of times to go to the gym. Yep. Um, so, I have two things to say about this. One is I want to know when it is that you're going so that I can check in on you here and make sure that you're going. <laughs> Wednesday night. Wednesday in the eve. Okay, all right? Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Now, I, I have a thought. Then maybe it'll help you. Maybe it'll help you. Tell me. Well, actually, it's a question. I'll I'll start it as a question. Why do you want to go to the gym?
0: (laughs) Uh, I want to go because I like it. I like doing martial arts. Mm -hmm. Um, it's good for you. But I think for me at least, it's more. I've always been a person that has done martial arts, Mm -hmm. and so. That's just something that I like. Okay, good. So really, even the exercise part is secondary for me.
1: Oh, okay. So it's more the craft. But it's a,
0: yeah, it's a big thing because, especially with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's very physical. Mm-hmm. I think the appropriate word is anaerobic. Okay. Because there's a lot of, like, weird muscle things that go on. Mm-hmm. It's one of the hardest, physically hardest things I've ever done. Wow. So... Not being athletically inclined is one of the mental blocks for me.
1: Right, right. But your desire to go is not about the fitness per se. It's about getting back into something right. that you like. Yes, that's cool. Primarily. And secondarily would be what fitness.
0: Yeah, fit, fitness. That's a good, a happy, a happy consequence. Hmm. Okay.
1: Um. Well, the reason I ask you kind of went in a different direction. So it's not really going to apply as well as I thought. Um, I, I kind of came to a realization recently. I was having a conversation with one of the guys in the house about this. Because um, as you know, I have really also – I've also really struggled with my relationship to exercise. Um, another conversation that I had with the provincial was one where he basically told me under obedience to go to the gym. Um, and I still struggle with it a lot because I never really – I never really succeed when I don't exactly know why I do things. Um and so if you tell me to do something like go to the gym, my first question is always why? Like what is the what is the reason for this activity? Um yeah. And I think so there was um there was a uh, I can't remember where I got this from. Uh it might have been one of these sort of self-help books or self-help channels uh, <laughs> that I was watching on... I suck at helping myself. Yeah, I think maybe it was on YouTube, like some self-help thing that I was looking at. Um, So it was talking about, like, the why of what you do needs to be sufficiently large uh, relative to the difficulty of the activity that you're trying to engage. Again, okay, what does that mean? Hmm. What that means is, is for, yeah, I know where I got this from. There's one of these guys who does a lot of, like, the, the paleo-type diet stuff, and he was trying to write a book. And he was talking about How if your why isn't big enough, it's going to be very difficult for you to get anything off the ground. Um, So, for example, for him, he was trying to get it off the ground to write a book. And his why was because he just always wanted to and he would never finish because it wasn't big enough of a why to motivate that big of an undertaking. Um, And so for me with exercise, it's like, why do I want to go to the gym? It's like, oh, I want to go to the gym because, well, that's what healthy people do. It's like, well, that why is really small. That's a very small why. There's got to be a bigger why. Um, Anyway, long story short, I started talking to one of the guys here about it. And I came to the realization that one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest whys that I was using to motivate or to at least explain uh, the going to the gym was always to lose weight. That was the reason. Yeah. That's the why. And I just realized recently in my life that that is... That is the activity that is most useless for me to lose weight. <laughs> uh, and so, what I started to realize is that I, as you know, I changed my diet and my diet became pretty strict. Um, and in so doing, I have lost a lot of weight. And so, what I started to realize is okay, if I separate out the activity of dieting from the activity of exercising and have each one of them connected to a different why or a different end then it might be easier for me to do both of them. So the Mm. dieting, the why of the dieting is the losing of the weight. And that's very successful. Now I can say freely, why exercise? Not to lose weight because I don't need to. But now there's a different different end in mind and it's an end in mind that is perhaps a little bit more motivating. And the motivation here now is I want to go to the gym because I fill in the blank. And in my case, It's I don't want my muscles to atrophy and I want to be able to walk when I'm 95, right? Like I want to be able Mm. to have this body work well uh, for a long time. But what's cool about it is by changing the the why, the the kind of why that I've imported into the exercising is not quantifiable, which is helpful because the amount of energy that it takes for me to get out of bed and to go to the gym because I hate it so much, it's like if I was always trying to measure <laughs> measure if it was worth it or not based on how many pounds I lost, it was always very frustrating. But now it's like the activity itself becomes the the joy. Kind of like you were saying. It's like yeah. I can just enjoy doing it and say like exercising is its own reward. Uh, I yeah. don't need to have an external you know calculation to see if it was worth investing that much time into the gym. Because I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm just doing it because I know that my body needs to stay active.
0: Yeah. You know who came up with that? Came up with what? What you've been talking about. Who's that? Aristotle. Oh? (laughs) Excellence. Hmm. Say more. But why do we do something is not so that I can be good at a thing or so that I can win at a thing. I do, I exercise or I learn so that I, so that I can be excellent Mm. at a
1: thing. Yeah, no, that's good and also to gain the excellences of character too through the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I went to the gym today. I uh played some badminton with uh, some of the guys which nice. was pretty fun. Uh, I've been playing some racquetball. Not very consistent, but I think that's part of the reason that I I like like separating out the weight loss thing because yeah. I don't have to, you don't have to it be. doesn't have to be regular because I'm not I don't have a goal. Yeah. Eliminating the goal is everything for me to want to go to the gym. Yep. Cool. Sorry, man. Well, we're gonna check in on this a little later in a couple of weeks. The next yeah. time we talk, I wanna wanna make sure that you're staying healthy, bro. Yeah,
0: it's an important thing. We gotta do it.
1: So uh, you wanna switch to our last uh, big topic here? Yeah, let's do it. So what are we talking about, Jonathan? So, spoiler alert. This is it. This is the big spoiler alert warning. We're gonna talk about the Avengers. Yeah, we are. Uh, so. So if you haven't seen it, turn off now. Turn off now. Come back later. Uh you and I have both seen this movie?
0: Yes. Now, I was
1: not able to see it twice. Okay. Which movie are we talking about, by the way? (laughs) Infinity War. Oh, okay. Avengers Infinity War. Because this could be an episode at a time. You never know. Oh, that's true. Avengers. And also, I don't know how long it'll take for us to edit. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? By the time this episode comes out, there might be another Avengers (laughs) that came out. um, (laughs) Oh Well, that's a big part of what I think about this movie. Ooh, interesting, interesting. <laughs> okay, so I saw this movie twice. Yeah. Uh you were only able to see it once? Yep. Okay. Um well, we come into this problem well, every time. How do we <laughs> how do we do this?
0: Yeah. Well, here's what I want to here's what I want to hear first. How did your experience change from the first viewing to the second viewing?
1: Um not at all (laughs) really i really yeah there was not much uh difference and i think part of the reason was that one of the reasons that i like watching these kinds of movies twice is because i typically am worried about what they're going to do in these comic book movies and Uh i don't know what's going to happen and so i'm always sort of nervous and i can't really enjoy it yeah uh right like it happened with ready player one as well um yeah. Now, the difference with this one is that my expectations could not have been lowered. Like, I just had such <laughs> low expectations for this because I've been so fatigued by 10 years of yeah. expectation that I yeah. I had such low expectations that I I could just watch the movie and let it be what it was without too much concern. Um, And also, very quickly in the movie, it became clear that this movie was was not exactly what I would have expected anyway from an Infinity War movie. Um, yeah, have it, I agree with that, actually. It, having read the comic books, uh, which to me is always a very frustrating conversation to have with people who read comic books, just because I don't have any interest in it being exactly like the books, just because it doesn't have to be. Um, yeah. But having read them, you. you know, that said, having read them, I was I was already aware of what could possibly happen. So I just had very little expectation or very little worry. Um going into it. And so with the second viewing, I could just, you know, enjoy that, that which was enjoyable and dislike that which I disliked already the first time. Not not much changed. Yeah. The only thing that I would say maybe uh, changed is that I, I, I was aware of more things the second time uh, that I wasn't aware of the first mm. time.
0: Yeah. So do you, do you want to go through, like go through the movie or just talk about the things that we liked and the things that we didn't
1: like? Uh, I never know how to have this conversation with you, man. Because like, it, It comes out pretty clear. Like, is it fair to say if we liked it or disliked it? Is that a Um, way to do this?
0: Well, I think, I don't know, because this is a different, so this is very different from Ready Player One, for example, where (laughs) we both kind of immediately said this was a, oops, I almost cursed there. This was a really terrible movie. Yeah.
1: Also, by the way, as a Um, side note, I hear it's actually not that bad. Ready Player yeah, One. Yeah, I I've been told by friends who have seen it that I didn't read the book that it was not a bad movie. Oh, how about that? So that might have been a movie worth watching twice.
0: Yeah, uh, that's actually pretty fair.
1: Um. Okay. Uh. So, yeah. All right. So. Yeah. I'll 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 phrase it this way. Here we go. You ready? I I struggled at the end of the first viewing. I struggled to name what it was that I felt. Uh-huh. Uh, about the movie. So, my immediate reaction was neither like that was amazing nor was it that was terrible. So, I I yeah. didn't have either of those reactions. I was feeling something when I saw it the first time that I didn't know how to describe. And yeah. the next morning, I was before I saw it a second time, I was able to name what I felt. Mm. And I think this is going to be a helpful. Are you willing to? See I am. It? I think this will be a helpful way to get into this conversation. I was okay. feeling unsettled. Mm. I found this movie very unsettling, and <laughs> and maybe it's changed a little bit since I saw it the second time. But the first time I saw it, I feel I felt very unsettled by it because the w- mm. the way that the movie ended was so surprising and so unexpectedly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, they really props to them. They really tried something different from their typical formula. Yeah,
1: and that was that was very surprising and on a complete like creative level, I was like glad they did that. Um, but I yeah. was unsettled just because of the nature of the ending. Um, and this is something that came up the second time that I saw it. I fo- really tried to focus in on the body language of all of the people who were in Wakanda left after the snap. Um, yeah. Every one of them was looking downcast and looking away from each other as mm. they absorb the reality of what has just happened. And mm. I noticed that very clearly the second time that this movie ends with something really, like really difficult that has happened and painful and awful. Um and they really let you sit with it, uh, at the end, which I was yeah, I was very grateful. It's not
0: typically what they it's do. It's not
1: typically what they do. Now there were moments there,
0: And even in this movie
1: exact they were Yeah Yeah go ahead, go ahead. There were moments where where what
0: there was like emotional things happening and just like with Ragnarok there were people laughing at the destruction of Asgard right
1: right 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 that that type of a of a of a scene yeah that type of humor was happening and i noticed it this time but i kind of forgot about it because the way that the movie ended was not that uh
0: yeah and, yeah no that's a good and point and in
1: that and in that sense Jonathan i think this movie it it tried something and it also was shocking like the ending was shocking that it left me very unsettled um yeah part of it because like i didn't even know how to answer the question as to whether or not the villain was victorious you know like i i had a hard time even understanding mm-hmm. like how to judge the actions of thanos in this uh and i and i brought the question into my second viewing where, where i started to realize when i saw it the second time it almost was like he he didn't He he was a strange character because he didn't want necessarily to do this. Like he, it was communicating this like sense of duty rather than this sense of like thirst for power.
0: He was the one that could do this. Yeah, and and so he must do this. Yeah,
1: and I found that that was a very interesting way to present his character. That I don't know was just very curious. It was almost like there was a moment when he was telling Gamora uh, before before he sacrificed her, where he said, "I've run for my destiny before," and. Mm. And it just was a very interesting take of, like, what is this movie doing? Like, this is a very odd yeah. story because it's not just this thirst for power to grasp all of the Infinity Stones just so I can be the dominant force in the universe, which is what the comic book yeah. was. This yeah. is something more nuanced. Uh, and also, like, he was happy to retire, you know?
0: Well, seemingly. Uh, so I think this is a this is a moment where a second viewing would have been helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Because (laughs) at the end of the movie, I thought, you are effing kidding me. Why is that? We're going to wait another however long for part two.
2: There is no part two.
0: It said Thanos will return.
2: And when, when did it say that?
0: At the end, after the scene.
1: It said he will return?
0: Oh, yeah. So I did not see this as the end of a story. I was like, they're just setting up another one of these... Let's prolong this for as long as possible. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Kind of wait a
1: minute. Uh, when did you see that? I didn't see that either time.
0: It was at the very, very end, right after the final scene.
1: After the final post-credit scene, or the final scene?
0: Yeah, the final credit scene thing.
1: Oh, okay. It was written Thanos will return in another movie. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, but they did. They did. They did backtrack on the whole like part one, part two Infinity War thing. They did. Yeah, that was the original design of this movie was part 1 part 2 and they got rid of that and they just went to to Infinity War. And mm. there is and this is maybe a more meta problem that this movie struggles with is that we know what's on the dock for the production and so it makes yeah. it difficult to appreciate a lot of the a lot of the the, the loss knowing that there's going to be another movie with some of these characters already slated uh, in the future. Yeah. Um, but that notwithstanding, there is another Avengers movie named for two years or something like that, and next year or, the, or two years from now. Um, hmm. But I don't feel like this movie was a to be continued.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Why didn't you? Why didn't you pick that up?
1: I think that it changed the universe. But I, it was kind of like a, uh, like in the DC world, it was kind of like a flashpoint. Like it changed the, it changed uh-huh. the universe. And everything in the MCU is self-contained. It's in this universe. And so necessarily, the ramifications of this movie are going to affect every subsequent movie. So the story isn't over, right? It's not – I didn't see it as like part one of two. It's this movie changes the MCU. So now the MCU is mm. going to have to pick up the pieces in every subsequent film. Yeah. That's what I th- Interesting. That's what I think was happening. Um, And I thought it was a very clever way to do it to where like, yeah, okay, this – this 10 year arc i'm really glad it's ending or maybe it's not ending it's continuing but it's at least making a decisive point to say we we have to make sacrifices of characters yeah and i think that's what this movie did
0: yeah well and it's also interesting who was left among the avengers yeah
1: yeah i was noticing that too uh the original is that who is that who was left
0: yeah yeah captain america iron man Black Widow. Scarlet. Black Widow. Not Scarlet. Um
1: Yeah, Black Widow, uh, uh Hulk. Hulk. Thor. Hulk, Thor, and uh War Machine.
0: Yeah. Well he wasn't an an Avenger. An Avenger that's an Avenger. a really good point.
1: I didn't even I did not realize that. Yeah. Out of all of them, he's the only they're the only ones that remained. That's really that's really well done. I mean that's obviously intentional. It's gotta be. Yeah, gotta be. So I know. I thought I thought that was very clever. And I think it does it does mm, yeah. It does raise the question about what does happen next for the MCU. Um I got into into some conversations with guys afterwards and some guys uh were talking about how they they think that the solution to this problem will be the invocation of the stone and like the turning back yeah. the clock. And I made a point yeah. uh I got into a little bit of a disagreement with someone about this, but <laughs> <laughs> uh I made the point that I don't think that that would be good to to have like Thanos change his mind and then invoke the time stone and turn back time. Yeah. Um because I I felt at the end of this movie the unsettling what I felt was similar to the kind of feeling I get after the Good Friday service of this like mm. gut check of death one. Yeah. And that's difficult to sit with. Because this movie very much made death victorious, you know. Even the name Thanos is death in Greek. And yeah. I was thinking, like, for me to to there needs to be obviously like at the end of BVS, there's going to be a return of Superman. We know that, but yeah. how they do it and when they do it is important. Which is one of the reasons Justice yeah. League no. faltered is because the way they brought him back was not mm-hmm. good.
0: Was not good. Yeah. Um, That's interesting though, because in the comic books, who is Thanos's love interest? Lady Death. Yeah. Yeah, man. And so I. So they they brought that back. Yeah. In a weird way. Yeah.
1: And so I think one one of the things that is important to me in terms of what happens next in the MCU is like yeah okay you're not going to continue without you know Spider-Man there's got to be Spider-Man like you're going to bring him back somehow but the question is how and for me I this is the perspective that I always take with everything is you can't leave Good Friday in the past and say we can just skip over it because we now have the resurrection just can't do that yeah do that so if there's going to be a fix the fix has to keep the wounds you have to keep the wounds somehow so these characters need to be affected somehow don't just turn back the clock have the wounds of the yeah of the the sacrifice be real
0: yeah well you know and i just read in class i just read this article by a theologian named Shelley Mm Rambo. And she wrote about the middle spirit. So the Holy Spirit that brings us face, basically face to face with death, face to face with the abyss that von Balthasar wrote about. You know, Jesus didn't just fly over it. He went to the very depths. And the Holy Spirit is that which, it doesn't necessarily come from there. So she made this interesting point that there are two spirits, the spirit of life and the spirit of death. So on the cross, Jesus breathed his last, so he gave a spirit of death, and then at Pentecost he breathed on them the spirit of life, he gave them the spirit of life. Oh, wow. And not forgetting that first one as being crucially important. Right. Always, yeah, going from a place of the cross, not to stay there, but to then
1: move to Pentecost. Right. And so for me, that's one of the things that I think is a great opportunity here, is that they they left us with that gut check feeling of, hey, death has won, feel its sting, yeah. yeah. And now the question is, how how do you? And I think it's one of the reasons the movie was very unsettling is that there was no redemption, there was no resurrection at mm-hmm. all. All there was was death. Death wins, and I think that was that's what makes the movie difficult to to watch. So the question will be, how do they bring in redemption, and what kind of view of redemption do they want to hold to? is it one where just turning back the clock is sufficient or is there something a little bit more of transformation through the darkness that they're going to do that's what I that's yeah. what I'm curious about
0: yeah no that's interesting how do you think
1: that'll happen um i have some suspicion i mean i did some reading online of people's guesses um and and some people maintain that the possibility here is that the the people who were killed were not actually killed um
0: they're like trapped inside the soul stone. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I could see that as a way. So one of the things that I'm kind of afraid of is that they're going to turn Thanos into the destroyer and the creator. So this whole like there is no evil in the universe; it's just the natural mm-hmm. thing, which uh, I really don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because evil does exist, mm-hmm. and there are bad people that want to do bad things, mm-hmm. and so even changing Thanos's character into somebody who is doing this not out of sense of malice but as a, out of a sense of duty, I think you're right, it's very unsettling right, right, on a number of levels mm-hmm. yeah i don't I don't think that's the role of these movies is to give us. I don't really know what I'm trying to say here, but it's just it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to think about that
1: yeah i mean it's unsettling i think is the word and so like i think one of the things that's important though is the movie is not glorifying thanos see the the thing that's important to remember here is that he is the villain uh and as the villain he does and no one in the movie says that he's doing good everyone in the movie says you're a crazy person, you're insane yeah and so I don't think they're trying I don't think the creators of the movie are trying to make a point about there is no good or evil I think what they're trying well, what they're but, trying to say is there is evil and look what happens when evil is all-powerful and is victorious yeah is we are all left downcast and alone because we've given unlimited power to to destruction you know and it's like this is I think the movie was kind of making a point about like on a sort of more meta level this is the this is the necessary consequence if you espouse a view of power that unlimited power and the unlimited exercise of the will is sufficient for like happiness. If that's the case, then all you're going to get is destruction.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you, but how do we then how do we un- how do we understand that sacrifice of Gamora?
1: The fact that he was sad that he did it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean because they, they sort of made the made it made gave you the impression that he really did love her. Yeah. Um well, yeah, I mean maybe well maybe what's your thought on that? I have some some thoughts, but I
0: think it's I think they were really I think that was just I think Gamora's initial reaction was accurate. Uh she said, "This is the one thing that you've been searching for and the universe has said no." because this is the very thing that you gave up. Mm-hmm. Like, that hit me. That's what evil is. You're giving up on love. Right. And then to say, oh, no, he actually does have this great love because of her. It's like, well, hold on. What do you what do you actually think love is then? Mm. So I was, I didn't like that scene for that very reason. Like, they tried to say, you can have this great, wonderful, giving heart and then destroy half of the universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A total disregard of uh, life. Right. Or. Those things don't go together for me.
1: Well, but here's the problem, though, is that they should because you, as a Christian, you do know that there's no place even in hell where God's love is not present. Yeah. In other words, that there's no such thing as pure evil. Yeah. So.
0: But see, so and to that's, have a,
1: that's that whole. So to have a, a character like Thanos have a humanity to him. And have a certain sense of relationality with another person. Now, he's still heinous and he does awful things even to those whom he claims to love.
0: Yeah. He threw her off of the freaking cliff.
1: Right. But I, I guess my only point here is that there's that don't err too far on the side of evil needs to be totally no, evil sure. for it to be No, bad, totally, totally. Right? Because totally. part of the part of the reason that things are so evil, that characters become so evil is because you see how good they could be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, and I I get that and I and I do that's an important thing to keep in mind. You know, we're not we're not trying to say that evil is Well, I guess what I'm trying to come to terms with is the the really the freedom of it all. Like Thanos chose to murder Gamora's planet, half of her her homeworld. Mm-hmm. All of the people that she loved. That changes you. We see this in soldiers that come back from war, mm-hmm. even though it was, you know, quote unquote, a justified thing to do that destroys people. Right. And then just to say, oh, well, you know, you can still. Now, I do believe in conversion, definitely. But he wasn't con- that wasn't a conversion experience for him.
2: When at the end?
0: At No, at the be- at the when he threw off the cliff. Ooh. Like when he claimed to love. That wasn't a conversion experience for him.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that what you're putting your finger on, what's unsettling about that scene is that it's contradictory. And there's this like, if if she is that which you truly love, then you can't sacrifice it. Yeah. Is that right? I mean, like to to murder her. Well, yeah,
0: and I think that's why uh, Doctor Strange giving up the stone. I think that's exactly the the opposite. How so? That's that was the foil to that act because. He could have said, "Yeah, kill, kill. What's his face? And you know, I'll protect my stone." Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. They said, "No, you're not gonna, you're not gonna take him right now." Right. In that way. Right, right.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, as plot-wise, I think what was happening there is that he knows that somehow Iron Man is necessary for the destruction of Thanos. Yes. And so he needs, and because he's seen all of the possibilities, you know. Yeah. Hmm. No, I appreciate you you flagging that. There is there's sort of an in inherent contradiction if if murdering the one that you claim to love is a display of love that makes no sense like there's no way in which you can say like if you really loved her you wouldn't murder her
0: yeah Like, but unless you're so detached from and even then if you're so detached from from that emotion that to the sense that you say this is you know, even though I feel this, this is my duty to do. Mm-hmm. Then, again, you're detaching yourself from that emotion. Mm-hmm. Which all of those murders have already done. <laughs> right, right.
1: I mean, maybe this is just a, an indication of how far gone he is, right? Like, he's, he. there is a glimmer of love there. But he is, Yeah. but he is so motivated by duty that he yeah. is even willing, like, there was that shining light coming through of a tear in a tear represented in that tear but he snuffed it out yeah you know and said no i have a purpose and that purpose doesn't include you yeah i don't know i think I, I, the more i think about it though it's like isn't that a better way of looking at it is that we got a glimpse into him being someone who can actually love but he mm-hmm. in te- intentionally chooses to snuff any prospect of that out
0: yeah well yeah and that's the that's the that's the sin moment. Right,
1: right. There was an opportunity Definitely. there for conversion and he chose yeah. to turn back.
0: Yeah. Hmm,
1: interesting. Yeah. Um I so okay, maybe on a different note here. This is maybe one critical thing that I have uh for the movie. Um it might be pretty evident by now. I think I think I could say that I really like the movie. Um that might be fair to say. Uh, because yeah. I think that it was nuanced and complicated and it wasn't just entertainment and I think that we're raising serious questions and also being very clever and creative in the production. Um, Is that where you are or did you have more of a hang up on it?
0: Uh, So as a movie, I think I certainly enjoyed it way more than I thought that I would. Mm-hmm. I was really turned off by that sense of, like I mentioned before, of that sense of Oh, we're just going to stretch this out again, right? And kind of that fatigue start started to set in a little right. bit. Right. Um, but no, I think I think I you know there were some major hangups that I had character wise, but yeah, I think it was fun.
1: Yeah, the one the one character hangup that I had was, and I was reading some articles about this online uh, after the fact, is they they departed from all of the progress made in Ragnarok for Thor's character. Uh, which mm. was really odd. And I, it was striking to me watching the movie. It's like, wait a minute. Wasn't the whole point of Ragnarok that you don't need your hammer to to be <laughs> Thor? You're not the god of hammers yeah. or whatever. But then all yeah. of a sudden you can do nothing without getting another hammer. Yeah. Like, what is this about? Yeah. You know, And I thought that that was a little bit of a departure from his character. Yep. Agreed. Uh, that was one little hang up. Um, yeah. I really love the way that they did, uh, they did Spider-Man though. I thought Spider-Man was really well done. Yeah. Yeah,
0: the uh Iron Suit from Civil War. Which suit? I thought it was the Stark suit.
1: Oh, for Spider-Man?
0: The the yeah, the golden red. Oh, that thing. was awesome. With the with the with the legs, which is what they were highlighting in the movie. That was awesome.
1: I thought that was really cool.
0: Um yeah, I agree. Spider-Man was a really good character and you know, he was funny, but he was also I thought he was really true to his character, you know. Like, ooh, have you seen this old movie Alien? Right. And then they just a yeah,
1: <laughs> one of the things I liked about his character, too, is that he he was very much a teenager, uh in that sense, but also in another sense, which was teenagers are you know, they joke around and they play kind of cocky and as if they you know are invincible, but staring down fate, uh sorry, staring down death, he broke down and like mm. cried in the arms of his father figure like yeah. to me that was a very moving having been a teacher it's like a very moving moment to see it's like that's actually what kids do like that is exactly yeah. what would happen is that they're cocky yeah. on the field whatever but when push comes to shove a lot they they're they're courageous and they demonstrate a lot of strength but they also cry they cry yeah. you know in moments of of hurt um yep. i thought that was very good very well done scene
0: yeah i thought uh how do you feel about vision
1: well um so there was something about Vision that I thought was interesting, which is that he he experienced some change in his perspective over the course of the movie. Um, uh-huh. He went from this very, like, calculated utilitarianism of, you know, just kill me, it doesn't matter, uh, to quoting Captain America back to himself, um, uh-huh. which, you know, we don't trade a life for a life, which I thought was really good, um, seeing that in Vision, uh, that kind of change. Um, overall I thought his character was okay. Not really I didn't really pay much attention to him. I thought he was kind of uninteresting. Yeah. Um did you have something about vision that stood out to you? I just
0: yeah, I think the love story aspect of that story kind of fell flat for me.
1: Yeah. It's unbelievable.
0: Like I didn't really care about him. Right. In that way. Right. Um I thought it added just too much nonsense. <laughs> I mean, I guess their goal was to try to have this emotional connection so that she wouldn't just obliterate the stone. Right. Okay, I get that. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it didn't do it for sure. me. Sure.
1: For me, one of the more concerning characters in the movie was Captain America. Uh, mm. I struggled with him a little bit. Now, I do think that there was, there was one good moment in this movie for him, which was he was the one who said that we don't trade a life for a life. Like, he yeah. has virtue there, which is great. But there was something about his character in this movie that was a little bit unsettling for me, which was his whole costume was just black. and I yeah, was, it was dark. It was dark, and I was like, what are you doing here? Like, And I was looking closely at the pattern, and it's still the same suit. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it still yeah. has the stars and stripes. But what I found frustrating about it is, like, why is Captain America – first off, no one calls him that anymore. Uh, You yeah. know, they call him Cap and they call him Steve, which is fine. But there's this something about him that he's lost a certain sense of being a colorful character. Like everything about him is yeah. – he's kind of like – he's kind of just like a a Black Ops, you know, like mercenary. Well, he was Hawkeye. Yeah.
0: He's become Hawkeye yeah. with super strength.
1: Yeah, he's become Hawkeye with super strength. That's right. You know, like there's just, just something about him where he's just a Black Ops fighter and that's all he's good for. So I thought that was a little disappointing just because he's so much better than that as a character.
0: Yeah. Yeah, his it's more his character is so much more than just, he's really strong and can fight well.
1: Right, 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 right.
0: Like, he's the moral compass of the group. Right,
1: and there was that one moment that you saw that, but other than that, it was missing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I really didn't like the way Scarlet Witch was portrayed. Oh, yeah? As just the one person who is stronger than all of the Infinity Stones and all of the goons that... <laughs> they put in front of her what do you mean well like what what was the moment this is the problem with not seeing it twice like she just had these really bursts of like incredibly godlike, powerful and then kind of like jean gray in the comic in the cartoons like she'd do this really cool thing and then faint
1: wait (laughs) who are you talking about scarlet witch oh you said scarlet witch i heard black widow and i got very confused as to why you were talking about black widow um. <laughs> no, no.
0: Yeah, Scarlet Witch. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I also, I, I thought about this afterwards as well, is that she, she basically possesses the power of the Reality Stone, and she's basically useless. Like, and it's like she, yeah, like her power is basically to move stuff and throw red things.
0: Yeah, I didn't get it.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe you can just understand it as like there's, there's something about her character that still needs to develop into into the role. Um. Yeah. By the way, uh the movie has reached one billion dollars in box offices worldwide.
0: A billion dollars? Yeah,
1: it surpassed Justice League in six days.
0: Wow. Well, not surprising. Yeah. I think it is a better movie than Justice League. Um that that had so many problems between having two directors and
1: It's so sad. I don't I mean yeah I kinda wish that Justice League would get its act together. DC needs to figure yeah. something out. Yeah so overall
2: uh yeah
1: thumb up yeah I, lo- I liked it a lot and i i would watch it i would i could see myself watching it again in the future like i yeah and i really do appreciate the creativity of like letting these characters actually experience some sense of loss some real sense of loss. Mm-hmm. You know? um oh yeah, i will I say too just maybe as a last point that i was one of my biggest worries going into the movie was it was going to the movie was going to be as confusing as the poster with just like <laughs> no focus. Um, yeah. But I found that the movie did that really well. They they balanced all of the characters in I a, think in a pretty good way.
0: Yeah. I think in a future, maybe a, another, in the next episode, or, or maybe this will be a good one-off thing. I think we should talk about Hulk.
2: Okay. What about him?
0: And how he got beat up and refused to come out.
1: Yeah. Wasn't that crazy? Yep. Very good. Cool man. Well, that's good on that. Um till next time. Till next time. Alright, man. We'll talk later. Peace.